Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the uh, September 22nd, 2021 QPSC. Let's go to a roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. She's still connecting, but she is. There she is. Got her. Trustee Banerjee right on time. Here. Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Friedman. Present. Trustee Jensen. I'm here. And Trustee Dung is absent tonight. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, uh, by way of standard work, we always talk about the purpose of the QPSC at the top of the meeting. One more time. The QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. Um, so with that, let's go to public comment. Madam Clerk. I don't have any. We do not have any public comment. Okay. Well, that will go to our traditional first item, which is uh, the, the chair article, an article I pick, hopefully relevant to all of us. This uh, month's article is a, a very provocative title, The Answer to Culture Change, Everyday Management Tactics. Uh, oh boy, culture, what a, what a big one. There's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll quote a great 2013 uh, Harvard Business Review article entitled, What is Organizational Culture and Why Should We Care? And the opening statement is this, if you want to provoke a vigorous debate, start a conversation on organizational culture. Uh, so uh, uh, let, let us uh, leapfrog into that and continue the ongoing discussion about how uh, we uh, assess what our culture is and how we manage what our culture is. So in this article, what, what happened in this article? There, this, uh, this article is uh, basically out of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And for those of you in the audience who don't know what the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, the IHI is, it's, it's, it's one of the meccas for things quality uh, around the world. They do a lot of international work. In this particular article, they highlight two pilot initiatives, uh, in, one in the UK and uh, one American as well, which were very different environments, but, but helped them to achieve sustainable um, uh, and significant improvements. And from that, they tried to de derive some leadership lessons for us. And I want to highlight some of those and then open it up for dialogue on, uh, for, for, for the trustees or, or uh, executive leaders or medical staff leaders here. Basically, they distilled this down to six core elements to, quote, a high-performance management system. Uh, so always be careful about what people are selling, but it, they, did a, they did a lot of good analysis on this. And there, here are the six elements of, of their, what they derived as the high-performance management system. First, standardization. This is development of role-based daily and weekly standard work. And I know that occurs in multiple elements throughout this organization. Uh, you know, some things are, we get a regular COVID report. Uh, uh, I'm on Catherine Horner's eServe, and she does standard work like all the time uh, uh, and uh, there's a lot of data in our email. Standard work, big fan of standard work. It's, it's a core element of what we should do in our organization. Two, accountability. Uh, that's development of systems to review fidelity to standard to work. So 
we can say there's doing standard work, but are we actually making sure that there are accountable systems? Third, visual management. This is the development of signs, dashboards, or other symbols that guide performance and importantly, are easily understood at a glance. Um, sometimes what I call the tyranny of numbers and the tyranny of data. People just put up data and everyone just shakes their head like they pretend like they know what's going on in that data. We need to make data easier for all of us to understand and digest. Fourth, problem solving. Um, this is the development of well understood methods to identify and address problems that arise in daily work. I'll say our culture has not been well, it is not fully developed on how to answer certain problems, right? And I think that's part of our journey together. Um, people love to jump right to the chief operating officer or right to the chief executive officer on a problem. And in some cases that might be right, in some cases it might not. I think this is gonna be part of our journey in figuring out how we problem solve. And that leads to the next point, which is escalation, development of clear processes to identify problems, and then how to appropriately escalate them. And last, integration is manifestation of, of all these practices at all levels of management. So this is what the IHI sort of concluded as the six core elements to a high performance management system. I think it's a great playbook and I'm super happy to know that we do many of these things in the organization. You know, it, 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 some do it better than others, but boy, it's a great opportunity for us to consider if this sort of became our, our cultural way. What were the key lessons from this study? First, improvement capability. Successful teams used basic, basic quality improvement methods with ease. That's the simple things like a run chart. That's a PDSA. Simple, easy things. It didn't have to be complex. It didn't have to be a chi-squared analysis or what have you. It can be the simple stuff which can help move us along. Second, standard work. I'll repeat standard work. Successful teams invested significant time focusing on standard work, not only by having checklists and other tools, but also by carving that standard work out and allocating it appropriately to, at the right level of the organization. And last, and what I, what I regard perhaps most importantly, leadership. Successful teams had support from several levels of leadership at once. The most important being the senior executive team, having an executive champion for the work that you're doing. Second, the physicians, and third, the physician, uh, sorry, the, and third, the next level managers. The, having, having, having leadership involved in whatever project across all three of those domains was a, was a key and successful finding in the success of these two IHI teams. And now I'll step off the stump and I'll open it up for uh, trustees first, then um, uh, uh, managers and execs, if anyone wants to comment, and, and, and including our, uh, our medical staff leaders. Silence. I'd have to start pimping some people. <laughs> um, um, I have a comment. Trustee Friedman, always coming through. Uh, let's see, let me get it on screen here. I just had it. Uh, I think a key paragraph is on the last page, uh, or second to last, where it says evolving approach. It says the high performance management system takes significant time to introduce and evolve. Teams must start with a small number of pilot bundles or, but, or huddles, huddles, I guess, 
and the system should ultimately evolve to include huddles, visual management, standard work, and other elements at each level of management. This process represents a long-term organizational journey rather than the strategic flavor of the year. So to me, this is, fits right into our need to kind of step up our strategic planning game and, you know, the uh, issues that uh, Trustee Splendorio talks about on a regular basis or Trustee Fox also. Um, so I think we have our work cut out for us if we're going to uh, you know, move closer to this model that seems to have been very effective elsewhere. Thank you, Trustee Friedman. Trustee Banerjee, I'll call on you. You always have something to say, and then Trustee Esteen will say something next. <laughs> yeah, I, I too would add that um, something like this needs practice, 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 and it's like literally all elements of it because those are not interchangeable to say, oh, we'll do three out of these, not all. Um, so really, like, where success happens on a consistent basis when each of those elements are are... Um, one has fidelity to all, all of them, but like it, uh, it's easy to kind of go to default mode sometimes. So they, unless there's intention um, given to it, and like you know, uh, uh, each of those uh, like the problem solving that happens in in within the own context, like developing the muscle for that. Um, escalation, like people knowing how to do that, so it's not spotty, and mm -hmm. every one of them is as important as the as the rest. Like it's not pick a menu and choose three out of these. Yeah. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee, Trustee Esteen, and Trustee Jensen. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the way that it describes the article describes the team approach. Um, because I think that these kinds of huddles and collaboration is really where you see buy-in and the potential for change when everyone is included in the process of thinking, reviewing, and you know, recognizing the, the link in the chain from the beginning to the end and impact. I think this is where we see change. So I'm excited, you know, if uh, we're talking about culture change and strategic approach to see the potential for things like this to have positive impact. And, you know, at some point we're implementing all kinds of things, the best initiative with guidance from Huron, as long as we bring in everyone to have these discussions, I think we'll see many, many changes, much improvement. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. Trustee Jensen. You're on mute. Uh, Trustee Jensen. It was, I agree with um, all the comments. It's an interesting um, article. What, what I actually kind of took out of it is that um, we have a little ways to go. And in, in fact, the QPSC is where we hear about the things that were outlined in this article that we need to attend to. And so I actually um, picked up on, I think it was the same page right above um, where um, Trustee Friedman had spoken. I, I was looking at the paragraph before that, which which establishes that that to be effective, um, and in the Scottish National Health Service, each team had administrative support from a service manager who is accountable for issues such as physician scheduling, and the active involvement of an administrator helped to ensure accountability for the frontline team leader. I'm thinking of some of the comments that we've had from um, 
from, especially from Alameda and San Leandro Hospital, where the physician leaders are, in the example I'm thinking of, attempting a transfer, and there's no next level managerial support. And so that transfer is not facilitated quickly, and that leads to um, other in, unintended consequences, especially in terms of quality and for the patient. So I think that the, this is a good outline, and if we can continue to move in this direction, that will improve uh, all of our service offerings. Thanks, Trustee Johnson. In, you know, when I was, you know, uh, kind of perusing and thinking about articles, this article for me has kind of a funny dichotomy in it, in that one, uh, from my board, from our board perspective, not my, our board perspective, one of the one of the words here is management tactics. It is not the board's role to 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 play a role in management. Uh, we 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 have hired a CEO to hire a team to execute management. But the word in the first part of of uh, of this article was culture, and for that I think this board does have responsibility too. So it is kind of a funny interplay uh, between between the both. Um, I'll give opportunity to our CEO and COO and interim CMO, if anyone else, and then uh, then I'll take us uh, through the rest of the agenda. Mr. Jackson, sir, good evening. Good evening, Chair Bouquet. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, given the, in the interest of time, I'm going to defer. Thank you for asking, but I will hold my remarks. Got it. Mr. Fratsky, sir. Um, nothing, nothing. Um major um i don't think as an organization we've arrived yet with standard um practices but it's it's certainly is something we aspire to and we think about every day when we go about our business um and it's as as trustee and esteen i think said it is a journey and you know the journey has to start today and so I, i'm confident over time we will get there but not not there yet Thank you. Dr. Tornabene? Sure. The, one of the things that I liked about this article was using the, if I think about culture, culture arises out of the collective decisions that everyone makes every day. You come to work and you make a set of decisions and all those decisions ultimately develop into the culture of the organization. What if we built these tools into the the decisions that all of us make from the bedside up to the executive level every single day that we have an approach to problem solving that we have an approach and expectation around escalation and that becomes reliable if it becomes reliable and everyone is doing these activities every day then i think that the ultimate outcome is actually decreased harms and that's something that that we talk about here at this meeting Thank you, Dr. Tornabeni. That makes me think of a quote I heard Jerry Seinfeld say once when he was talking about building his comedy, and it's consistency builds capacity, right? Yeah, so he would he would practice his routine so much that that he had the capacity to take on more. So uh, I, I, I like how, how that kind of jives with that. Dr. Besh, Dr. Pyun, then Dr. Fazali, and then I'll take us out of this uh, agenda item. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, and I, I totally loved Felicia Tortobetti's comments there. Um, and uh, um, it's interesting. This is, I, I missed, I, mean, I was having Zoom difficulties, so I missed part of your thing. But IHI wrote a white paper on whole system quality that was published in June this year. And I was reading, I was looking at that uh, in the last few weeks um, as, uh, as the interim chief of staff. And 
And I think it's fascinating um, what they learned and what they took. And I think a lot of this was in this article um, that they wrote for the New England Journal of Medicine. And I think that, that this is really hard work. And I think we need to get everyone to buy in to change the culture of our, of our organization for our frontline staff. And, um, and I, I, this is what I was going to talk about at the end of my report and that, that we need a culture of safety. We need to feel psychologically safe to make change, to stop the line, to do things for patient-centered care. So thank, thank you, Dr. Besh. Uh, Dr. Pion or Dr. Afzali, any, any comments to close out this agenda item? Um, to, uh, uh, Chairman, I just wanted to mention that it, it does apply to AHS, but I think it's an aspirational goal and, and uh, agreeing with Mr. Fratsky that we're not quite there yet, although you know, my, myself and uh, almost everyone on this call is, uh, is always uh, speaking about the uniformity of the system and, and trying to refer to HS as a system and, and continued sort of development in that regard. But culture takes a long time to build. Um, so we may not be there, but I'm also optimistic that we will be. Thank you, Dr. Afzali. Dr. Pune, I think is still rounding. So um... thank you, Dr. Pune. Um, with that, um... I'm going to close out item A, uh, the report discussion. Thank you for uh, engaging in the discussion, everybody. Let's go to item B. That's the consent agenda. In the consent agenda, we have four elements, the minutes, policies, and procedures uh, from the system, medical staff policies and procedures, and revised privileging form. Trustees, the consent agenda is before you, before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of it. Uh, is there anything that needs to be pulled for discussion? I see trustees shaking heads. With that, uh, I'll entertain a motion to approve the entirety of the, of the consent agenda, Bravo 1 through Bravo 4. So moved. A second. Uh, roll call, Madam Clerk. <clears throat> um, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you very much. You bought some time back. Thank you, trustees. So we're moving now into item C. This is our standard work um, to hear from our medical staff leaders. Um, this, these are the medical staff reports from our, our, our three uh, designated leaders here. Um, uh, Dr. Pun, are you available? I am. Hi, Dr. Kuhn. Do you mind uh, being leadoff batter here? Sure, sure. Um, just to let you know, we did uh, approve the credentials and privileges, and uh, we uh, you have them in your packet. Uh, in addition, I wanted to rank some of the key concerns, and I have I'm happy to report there's been some uh, some you know progress on a lot of these issues. Uh, number one was the issue of. Uh, Hospitals and ER doctors being able to refer to outpatient uh, subspecialists, um, and uh, you know we've had they've had a number of meetings. There is talk about a, a launch in November for a few of the subspecialties, and I'm happy to hear that uh, there, there needs to be an epic build out where they have to build it into the system, and that's why it's taking a little bit of time. But um, I'm very happy to hear that there is an attempt to at least uh, open it up uh, to a couple of specialties. Um, and um, 
that uh, that should uh, should that should be helpful. Number two, um, another second issue is uh, MRI avail availability. It really changed. I noticed it changes week to week in how busy we are, or how many neurology cases we have, or how many uh, neuroimaging MRI need need we have in a day. Sometimes we need more than two and a half slots a day. Sometimes we need um, less than that. So when we do need two more than two and a half, it's kind of we have to kind of pick and choose and say, okay, this person will have to be bumped up tomorrow or whatnot. So it's not ideal, you know. Again. I just, if there's something, I just want to have some flexibility with the, um, for emergency cases or cases that really need to push to the frontal list. And I believe there is uh, an e, at least an ER stat MRI, um, uh, stat MRI uh, protocol that's going to be, I believe, launched at some point. But I, a lot of details uh, have not been uh, told to me. But uh, the idea, uh, but as far as inpatient uh, MRIs, patients that are already in the hospital and need MRI, uh, there are days where it feels like patients are being bumped still. So, um, and I, you know, again, it can it can increase length of stay. It can also uh, potentially um, upset patients who have to wait an extra day or two uh, in the hospital, and that can decrease the patient satisfaction scores as well. Not and also just it's not good for patient care, I think, because. Then you're taking longer to take to figure out what's wrong with patients, so that's um, something I really uh, would like to see more movement on. Um, another issue that we're talking about at the hospital level, at the at, at the ER level, um, I, I, I had a brief email uh, exchange with Dr. Rusoka uh, of uh, uh, who's going to be running a readmissions type of program to look at uh, how our how our readmissions are happening. And you know which patients are getting readmitted, and, and looking at that more closely, uh, I've assigned doctors uh, Gahar Sajadi, who's one of our uh, our, our um, hospitalists, to help us with that from the Alameda side, and uh, to look at that more closely and see if there's anything we can do to decrease readmissions. We we know that that has been um, not hitting our we're not hitting our goals at this point with that, and um, we we're surrounded by a bunch of nursing homes, and historically. Um, I, not only in our in our hospital, but any hospital, um, nursing home patients tend to bounce back and forth to the hospital quite a bit um, uh, because they're often frail, they're chronically ill, they, you know, they're just very hard to stabilize per se. Um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, they started a palliative care service here just literally days ago. I'm wondering whether that's going to help us uh, in that in that aspect. But some of these patients that are bouncing back and forth may be really palliative care patients, um, quite frankly. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's going to, going to help. I, I don't know. We'll, ha we'll have to wait and see. But, um, you know, as our group is very committed to uh, helping with that in that in that department with length of stay, readmissions, um, also getting patients into the hospital sooner, quicker. Uh, we don't want patients sitting in the ED too long. We want to do our part to try to, try to make life easier for the ER docs, the ER staff, not have patients uh, stuck down there in log jam. So we're, we're working on that as well. Uh, and uh, educating our doctors and trying to get them to get the orders in uh, sooner, as soon as possible. Um, sometimes you're multitasking in the morning. You're, you're admitting patients. You're also discharging patients. You're also running a code all at the same time. That's That happens. That trifecta did happen to me yesterday. So uh, it's really a challenging, a challenging position to be in. But um, we're doing to do our best. And, uh, you know, I... Just uh, wanted to. Those are our our key concerns. I uh, uh, with our with the Alameda Hospital today. 
if there's any questions, please let me know. Thank you for that report. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Pian? No questions? Okay. With that, we'll go to Dr. Afzali. Good evening, uh, Good evening. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, uh, to brief uh, uh, background, our, our volumes are uh, definitely up higher than last year. Uh, we dipped off a little bit, about 2% compared to last month, but still at about 15% compared to month to date last year. Uh, the disconnect with the inpatient is still there. Uh, their volumes are lower than expected. And I was uh, talking to Dr. Yusuf about that just shortly. Uh, and so we're uh, really looking forward to better uh, patient movement uh, within sites uh, so that the volumes are a little better distributed, uh, uh, say, for example, between Highland and San Leandro. Uh, I know there's a lot of work being done in the background about that. Um, other uh, quality items at, at San Leandro, uh, as I mentioned at the board meeting, the uh, uh, ethics committee is up and running. I've handed the reins over to, to Dr. Singh and Florinda, uh, who are the co-chairs of the committee. Uh, they're taking over starting uh, next month. Um, and uh, outside of that, uh, the ED uh, is uh, looking forward to some collaborative work with support services and changing our arrival process in the ED to address registration issues uh, and uh, faster access to our patients uh, or as quickly as possible. Uh, a lot of great collaborative work happened uh, in relation to that last week, and I'm hoping uh, and looking forward to results in the coming months, which I will share with you as they occur. Um, outside of that, I have nothing significant to report, and I'm happy to entertain any questions. Thank you, Dr. Afzali. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Afzali on, from the San Leandro Leadership Committee? I have a question about the patient transfers. Yes, ma'am. Uh, what is the method that that usually occurs? Is that by paramedic? Um, and yes. how, does, how does that impact cost? and balancing out costs when paramedics are moving patients back and forth. Dr. Afzali, can you comment on the actual physical mechanism in which it happens? You may or may not have the cost data. I, I don't. I don't have the cost data, but uh, the transport between sites is a, uh, uh, if it's for higher level of care and they require CCT, that's a different issue, then we have no choice but to make that make that happen. If it's not, it's a, it's a non-emergent EMS. CCT, if you'll define CCT, critical care. Correct. Critical care. Apologies. It's okay. Critical care transport is CCT for the audience. Um, uh, for those that are not critical care and stable, those are non-emergent EMS transports. Uh, generally, we use uh, Royal uh, with whom we have a contract. I'm not sure how the billing on that ends up working out. Yeah, I guess I'm just curious about efficiencies. Empty beds don't make any money. Um. Correct. And, uh, you know, from... Uh, uh, you know, my perspective, which is not the patient perspective or the cost perspective, um, a patient sitting in an emergency department for 24 plus hours and not getting the care they need mm -hmm. uh, is also inefficient and a waste of uh, resources. Um, Dr. Afzali, can you talk us through the mechanism of a transfer? Is this is this uh, yeah, is this going in the proper vector, the, the a positive direction 
from where we were, say, a year ago? Uh, I think things have gotten much better. I think that, you know, the trouble that somebody faces, uh, you know, any other community site that faces, say, for example, St. Rose and trying to get somebody uh, out of their emergency department for a higher level of care uh, is a lot more challenging than uh, San Leandro or Alameda faces. Um, granted, all, you know, we tend to hear about, about the complications because we want to find solutions. Uh, but I think uh, compared to other sites in the East Bay, similar sized emergency departments, uh, you know, uh, for almost anything, including our 5150 patients, we have an easier time and a better process in place uh, because of the support we have as a system. On the transfer center, you mean specifically? Correct. Facilitating. Excellent. Correct. Um, and the relationship with the other departments and, and knowing the hospitalists, that, that's very helpful. Uh, it, do, it does make a difference. Um, now, there, there's still a lot of uh, tricks to be sort of worked out. There's still a lot of challenges and bumps in the road. But overall, I think uh, it has gotten better and it continues to get better. Uh, and identifying some of the uh, opportunities that have been identified, such as centralized staffing, which tends to be uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, sort of challenges in, into getting patients uh, into a bed that they need, um, I think will we'll make an even bigger difference. Our, our transfer center uh, is still relatively new and, and developing, and it, it, need, it needs time to find its footing. Uh, but I think it's going in the right direction. Thank you, Dr. Osali. Wouldn't it be nice if we had some simple visual management, wink, 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 to understand how, how we were getting better? Uh, and again, this is an opportunity. I see Trustee Jensen's hand up. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you, Dr. Zolli. I just wanted to point out um, with regard to the transfers, which is an issue we always talk about, there's been, so far this month, there's been at least nine, maybe 10 code um, uh, ED surge codes. So. That would mean that there. It, this is also to um, Trustee Esteen's point. That would mean that all our beds are full, at least at Highland Hospital. Yes, ma'am. Makes it hard to come in when there's when I don't want to stop. Oh, I was just going to say I don't want to stop, but I guess I'll talk about this more in my report as well. <laughs> Got it. Um, any, any other questions? Any? Well, you're about you're on deck, sir. Uh, uh, any other questions or comments from Dr. Zali's report? Thank you, Dr. Afzali. Thank you all. Dr. Besh, the floor is yours, sir. All right. I will, I'm going to skip right to this um, in that um, one of, one of the, the, the groups that's been meeting every week with leadership and frontline staff um, has been the length of state committee meeting. And this is a big part of that. And, and actually, this last week, um, the transfer center rolled out a daily email where they're sending the zip codes of all the patients at Highland. So if their zip code is near San Leandro or Alameda, could we transfer those patients and is actually better for patient care? And so, um, so that's one of the things we've been looking at Kaiser patients and, and escalating that and how can we get patients back to Kaiser that are, that are at our, in our system. And then also, um, uh, um, Oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the last one that I, I can't read my writing, but it's a daily report <laughs> that, uh, that, that Tracy Cooper, Felicia Tornabene, Brian DeGive and, um, uh, and Mark Fratzky are a part of along with the, with the physician leaders as well. And so I think that that's, this is going to make some change. And I think that moving patients into the open beds, um, and moving patients through the system faster will more than offset 
the cost of of the probably the ambulance transfers, but it, I'm sure it's something that we're we're looking into on the financial side of things as well. And hopefully, like like Dr. Bouquet said, is we can have something visual to kind of show you what this is moving forward. And so I think there's a lot of work being done. There's a lot of things in the hospital. Team-based rounds are being piloted, which are more patient-centered. So a lot of things around this to hopefully move throughput um, uh, at our system better. And I feel like it's been a great partnership across the system um, for this. Um, all right. And so going back in order, I think the the um, I wanted to talk about the medical staff department reports. And so I um, have met with... Um, we had three reports this last month. I'm going to give a verbal report on those, but I'm also going to show a brief slide if I can share my screen about emergency medicine and there in a in kind of a report template that we have that I'm going to try to pilot in the coming months with MEC and this board. And my hope would be that QPSC would enjoy like a one-page summary of what's going on in 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 our in our departments, and specifically, this would be emergency medicine. I don't have one for pediatrics and and uh, pathology and laboratory medicine, um, just because Satira did an amazing job of putting this together and uh, uh, all of us filling it out. It, it took some time, so we look forward to sharing this in the future. But quickly to the report, um, Dr. Barry Simon gave the emergency medicine report and discussed. Um, discussed Alameda, San Leandro, and Highland having joint faculty meetings, quality meetings, and journal clubs. They also have a lot of great data from Beta Health of being a Quest for Zero um, emergency department, um, which, was, which, was a, which was a plus. And then some of their strengths are grant funding and research. And a lot of this is really impressive. It's JAMA publications, top emergency medicine journals, and then on top of that, they're getting grants that support our most vulnerable patients, those with drug and alcohol addiction, those that are homeless, those that don't have resources. And so, and so uh, I think that there's a lot of wonderful work being done on the grant funding and research. And then the last piece is that, that I wanted to focus on was that they've been recruiting and have an extraordinarily diverse faculty and residency um, at, this, at this moment. And so it's been a huge... Um, uh, a huge project uh, within AHS, but also within the emergency department. And they've done a great job of creating a diverse department. Um, and so thank you to Barry Simon and all the work that the emergency departments do at Highland and San Leandro. Moving on to pediatrics. Um, I'm going to stop sharing so I stop distracting you all. And then um, uh, Dr. Pamela Sims-Mackey presented about pediatrics. And they are a very active group um, internally throughout AHS and then in the community, um, they reorganized with ambulatory to put all the pediatricians under the pediatric department, which was an excellent move for patient care at our organization. And then they had their issues with COVID. Um, they obviously it's hard to weigh, measure, and give vaccines to patients on telehealth visits. And so they're slowly getting their numbers back up and I mean, doing amazing work at getting their numbers back up pretty quickly while we're still in a pandemic. And so more to come on that and more um, more access to vaccines. I think this is going to be a big thing coming up for pediatrics around this. They also have a Dulce grant um, with the first five where they're supporting moms and babies in the first six months of life. And then a diaper program um, with a help a mother out in Alameda County where they're supplying diapers, which is I didn't realize how big of a barrier diapers are um, uh, for a lot of our patients. So and then there were many more she highlighted, but I just wanted to highlight some of those. 
It's a wonderful work of the pediatrics department by Dr. Pamela Sims Mackey. And then last, but certainly not least, pathology and laboratory medicine, Dr. Valerie Ng, who is a rock star in our organization and literally has a crown that she is the COVID queen, um, which is a good thing, <laughs> why she got that crown. And, and they have had some new hires, huge increase in volume when they signed this contract with Automated Alliance for laboratory services, and then a huge increase in volume with COVID tests. And they've been sending drivers, all sorts of stuff all over the county for COVID, getting machines up to date, getting reagent. It's just been amazing to work with her and see all the amazing work they've done. And through that, they've had, I think they, I think she had five regulatory visits and they've all gone really well in the laboratory and pathology. So exciting stuff there. And then moving forward, they're looking at hereditary cancer screening for our patients with genetic counseling, which would be a huge step forward for our patients. And then also cost effect, effect efficient programs, such as decreasing smear reviews and things like that of, of pathologist time. So we couldn't function without these three wonderful leaders and I thank them for their reports. Moving on to patient care and clinical services. So I had a discussion with behavioral health um, uh, uh, about behavioral health resources and this came up in the hospitalist division and then it came up in emergency medicine at the last um, QPSC meeting or board of trustees meeting around the 5150s um, uh, in the EDs, pediatric 5150s. And then we have a lot of 5150s at Highland. And then we have a lot of behavioral health needs, whether it's psychiatric or uh, dementia type needs at Highland. And then I, I learned from Tanuj that a lot of our John George discharges actually have to go out to outpatient clinics supported by the county and that we don't, very few of them actually come into AHS after they leave John George. And so there were a lot of things that I had no idea about that I'm learning around behavioral health. And I think one of the things that came up for me was, is there a way to explore all of these wonderful ideas and is there funding for it? And can we go to the county and say, how, what is the vision for behavioral health and how can, how can we help support all of this in our organization? Because I think that, that I'm, I'm, I think a lot of us are concerned, but we also have a lot of great ideas around behavioral health. Um, the mind-body medicine training will be very quick. Uh, Dr. Daniel Winkle at the San Leandro Acute Rehab um, has offered to lead a course to help with wellness, burnout, and team teamwork and leadership. And so I'm going to be announcing that through the medical staff, but also it's going to be through all staff. So hopefully we have a unique, a, a diverse group of people that can join him in volunteering his time. Um, he's invited me and he actually said that I could invite the trustees if you ever want to see him use it in action in a morning and come to the rehab center um, to reach out to him. And if you need, if you need any of us to get in him, him in contact with you, let us know. And then key concerns, I'll, I'll go quick. Um, I put physician leadership dyads. Um, this was a really wonderful conversation that was held in MEC in which the, the chairs really discussed about how much we've really enjoyed and been impressed with our current engagement and planning within the system. And we felt like really engaged, really involved with our, our current leaders. And we wanna make sure that continues and we have ideas that we wanna share. And so we wanna use the proper forums to do that. And so ultimately it's like, how can we make sure the organization is supporting the physicians and the medical staff while making sure that our structure is still patient-centered to provide safe, equitable um, care for our patients. And then the last thing is safety culture. I will, I will just say that that was mainly discussed in, in, the, in, the, in the initial uh, article. And so with that, I will end my report.
Wow, Dr. Besh, take a breath. That was a tour de force. Um, trustees, man, Dr. Besh gave you a lot to, to go into if you want. Um, so um, I'll, I'll just take a little pause here for any trustees looking for any hands which are going up. Trustee Esteem. Well, Dr. Besh, thank you for all of that. When you start talking about behavioral health, you really speak to my soul. Um, I love the idea of doing some high-level coordination with the county and seeking extra funds to make sure that behavioral health is covered. Um, it is the county's total responsibility, but we also have um, new initiatives that we're, I, I think we're going to have a presentation at our um, finance committee either this month or next month to talk about mental health and to get uh, some updates. So I, I think your timing couldn't be better. Yeah, I'm, I would love to hear about expansion and coordination. Yeah, I think I think Dr. Siddhartha has has a lot of knowledge around this, and and it was just was, has a lot of ideas. And I think a lot of people are coming to him with ideas. So so I think I think it's it could be a really exciting time for that to do some meaningful work. Mm -hmm. It's a complex problem. It's a sticky problem, and it's one that this organization is going to continue to try to, uh, you know undo that Gordian knot for ourselves. Um, oh, sorry, I see our CEO has his hand up. Mr. Thank Jackson. you very much. Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Dr. Bouquet. And um, Dr. Besh, I um, wanted to thank you for your remarks. One comment, um, the third element that I think you are looking for in terms of what the transfer center is working on is uh, length of stay over 10 days. Um, so, so I wanted to just share that, and I'm I'm very encouraged by the work that the transfer center and that small subgroup that Dr. Besh mentioned is working on. I really think it's going to create um, capacity to get patients out of the ED in a more timely fashion, put patients at the level of care and the right facility um, in a timely fashion. So, very excited about that work. Mark Brown has um, made some great inroads in the brief time that he's been here. So excited about that. Dr. Besh also mentioned the interface with physicians um, that this administration is having. And I'm just terribly excited. I'm grateful for Dr. Besh and the other physicians who have stepped forward. Um, Dr. Dong, who um, worked with me to talk to elected officials um, of his own volition, that was really very helpful. Um, we are working on a regular basis to integrate physicians into all aspects of our uh, decision process and the, the decisions that we're making for the organization. And so um, we're looking to formalize that. It shouldn't be driven by personalities. It really needs to be something that is um, woven into the fabric of what we do. I had a great conversation this morning with uh, Dr. Tornabene about how we create formalized uh, dyad and triad structures across the organization so that this will not be um, driven by personalities. It will be the way we do our work. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Um, do, uh, Dr. Besh made a kind of a, this nice uh, uh, tour through three departments, um, uh, pathology and labs, pediatrics, um, and the emergency department. Uh, I, 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 as many of the trustees know, I also sit on the medical executive committee for this. So in that setting, these were actually about 15 minute reports through each of them. It was sort of impossible for Dr. Besh to, to do, uh, he did an awesome job for all three of those. My questions, trustees, are, would you like to hear directly from departments and divisions? Now, the caveat here is time. Uh, uh, 
we, we could find some version where they could maybe do a five minute version that would probably be get further questions. You don't have to answer that now. Um, you can you can tell me later, but I mean, if you want to hear directly from from the respective departments across the system, be it San Leandro Hospice or San Leandro, we, we could do this in any way. Remember, part of our, our charter is to directly interact with some of the physicians. And uh, I think this was a practice which occurred years ago when we weren't a system. You know, there, there are, I think, uh, 11 departments in our system is a little bit more digestible, one per month. We're, we're a much bigger system. The caveat here is time. So I, I would want to hear from trustees about whether you would like to like to hear from specific elements outside of the standard work that we have making it standard work. Um, trustees, you can chew on it as well. Of course, who doesn't want to hear from people, but it's a mat, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a matter of time, uh, because I think to do each of those reports justice, you're probably talking a minimum five to 10 each. And, and there's probably between 20 and 30 units out there, which, which, which this, uh, which the trustees could hear from. So then there's more time management. Do you put two in at once? Do you put one in at once? How about stuff to ponder uh, for, uh, for, for the trustees? Dr. Besh, you can know that uh, I, I, as promised, I brought the question to the trustees. And then, uh, so when you go back to the MEC, no, we're, we're contemplating this. It's a, it's, a, it's a matter of time. Yeah, I think we can pilot something too, of maybe putting something in the packet and then yeah. Or something that, maybe that, maybe that's another option is put something in the packet and if people have questions, yeah, the chair could be here for that. Okay, I I, I think I, I think there are many ways to to attack this issue about presence. Um, trustees, any other questions of Dr. Besh? Thank you for your report, Dr. Besh. Thank you for your report, Dr. Afzali and Dr. Pyun as well. With um, that, excuse me, through the chair, through the chair. Um, of course. Uh, Dr. Chair, are, are you actually suggesting that we would not have reports from the from the the hospital acute care hospital leaders? No, no, no. I'm talking about the 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 clinical physician leaders, like the chair of. We haven't done this in in probably ten years here, where the emergency department chair comes and gives his report or her report. The chair of pediatrics comes and gives her report to the board. So this this is an add-on, not a takeaway. I'm questioning an add-on, an addition. And, and that would be great. My, my suggestion would be that uh, I think as, um, as Dr. Bresch pointed out, maybe they could be part of the written report. And, okay. and then if there were questions, since you know we all read word for word everything in that packet. Every, I know everyone reads the packet from page one to page 150. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay, so Dr. Besh, how about you and I continue to talk with uh, Ms. Dalton Giovanetti and talk about, I think maybe as a, uh, as a first pilot, getting something into the packet for us to read might be a good way to uh, broaden the exposure of our uh, physician leaders. Sounds good. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. With that, we'll close item C and we'll go to item D. This is the Combined Patient Safety Regulatory Affairs and Quality True North Metric Dashboard uh, given by our Interim Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Felicia Tornabene, with support by Darshan Graywall, who's our System Director of Patient Safety, Nilda Perez, who's our System Director of Regulatory Affairs, 
and Annette Johnson, who is our quality analytics director. Good evening, Dr. Tornabene. Good evening, trustees. So as you might have seen in your packet, we have been, we're in a PDSA right now to revise the packet um, for to make it a little bit more digestible. So um, uh, we have an executive summary of the patient safety report. Uh, we have uh, essentially a, a an overview of the regulatory items. And then of course we have our true north metric dashboard, but then it goes later in the packet into the narrative. So I'll just walk us through the executive summary. So starting with the patient safety re report. So looking in the month of August, our, our, our harm of, uh, rate was up to 2.6%. So if we look back at, at uh, the last fiscal year, the annual rate was 2.5. So the, for the month of August, we're really uh, holding steady. Uh, in terms of our patient relations events, if we look from fiscal year 20 to, to fiscal year 2021, we actually saw an annual increase in our complaints and grievances. And uh, talking about this with Ms. Graywall today, um, we, uh, what we've been finding is that a lot of these complaints and grievances are centered around communication. And this communication is thought to be barriers related to, of course, COVID. Um, in COVID, we've had to restrict visitation. We've had to put up barriers between ourselves and the families and our patients. And this is certainly impacting um, the, the communication between us as a health system and um, our patients and families. And so this is really driving this increase. Um, in, the, um, in the month of uh, July and August, we had a total of 107 of these complaints. If we annualize that, we will continue to then see an increase throughout the year. So we want to keep an eye on that and maybe do some focused work on improving our communication. In terms of our uh, culture of safety, uh, we, of course, have been working on our the SPORE survey and then the, the subsequent actions related to that. And thus far, we have over 120 action plans across the system related to the SCORE survey. So uh, these action plans are underway. And one of them, which I'm very excited about, is that there's work going on at the level of the system to truly implement a just culture policy and education across our system this fall. Um, this is an amazing amount of work um, being led by Darshan Graywall and, of course, Ms. Lorna Jones. I'm excited to see this work come to fruition over the fall um, in terms of promoting a, a just culture. And this is, of course, a great outcome out of what we learned from the Culture of Safety Survey earlier this year. In terms of other items um, under patient safety, um, our patient safety team developed a quality and patient safety innovation award earlier this, this year. These awards are given out at our quality and safety councils. Um, they're always a great moment where we're celebrating um, uh, improvements uh, that occur across the system. You heard last month from um, doctors Newmark and Patel around, uh, for example, the, the controlled substance discrepancies. That was a project that got an award and the other ones are listed here. The overarching focus of our patient safety program is really using standardization, eliminating defects, uh, improving sustainability. These are things we talked about a little bit related to that article earlier um, in the meeting tonight. 
And we use tools like root cause analyses. Um, we track and trend MIDAS data and to really help us drive a culture of safety across AHS. So with that, then I will uh, turn to our regulatory affairs um, update. So in terms of joint commission activity, um, you heard earlier from uh, Dr. Besh about the recent survey at San Leandro Lab. That survey went well and the, the findings are being addressed. We did recently have four Sentinel events in August and two in September. Those have been reported to the Joint Commission. RCAs have been done and we are working on the action plans in order to really address those. There were two requests for in information by the Board of Registered Nursing and that, those, uh, that information is being provided. Um, excitingly, uh, CDPH will be surveying the Alameda Kitchen next week in terms of licensing. That's great news. And then October, we'll, we have the Joint Commission resources coming out to do a mock survey for Highland, uh, San Leandro, John George, and Fairmont. Um, this survey we did uh, at Alameda Hospital, it was incredibly useful in our regulatory readiness efforts. And then we are in continuous survey readiness right now for Alameda Hospital, and we expect the Joint Commission um, survey to occur imminently. Now, moving on to our True North metric dashboard. Trustees, you will see that the, there's a slightly new format. That was the new format that was proposed this spring. And so this is our first report on this new format. So in terms of our um, third next available appointment, um, you can see that we're not meeting performance on, in primary care, but we are for specialty care. Um, uh, speaking to the trend line on the right, the reason why we don't have a rolling 12 months is that these uh, data are collected manually right now. Of course, there's work underway to automate it so that then when, those are, when we get that information, you'll be able to see the trend line on the right side of the dashboard. So uh, our, where we met goal for July 2021 for the observed to expected length of stay. However, our unadjusted length of stay did not meet goal. I won't go into uh, a lot of the activities um, because we heard about uh, that from Dr. Besh, Besh who's um, very involved in, in that project. Uh, uh, as I mentioned last month, that uh, we changed our measurement methodology in terms of the median time from decision to admit to inpatient bed for the ED, and that I mentioned that we would see a decline in our performance. So indeed, uh, we do see a decline in that performance. However, um, uh, I, I suspect that over the course of the year, uh, uh, bearing fruit of the length of stay efforts that we should see a decline in the length of time that our patients spend upstream in the emergency department as we liberate inpatient beds. In terms of our percent of quit metrics on target, we are not yet there. We rolled over into um, the, the quarter one and quarter two of our fiscal year. Um, however, quit um, changes on the calendar year. Thus, by the end of this calendar year, we need to be meeting 90% of our metrics. So you can see that we're not quite where, there, but there is certainly tons of work underway um, to meet those targets. Interestingly, and um, I'm still trying to understand it, but our all-cause 30-day readmission rate 
for the month of July is spectacular. And we saw that decline in all three of our hospitals. Um, now, I, I, I've been in contact with some leaders trying to understand it. We're, we're still, uh, there was a lot of work validating the data. The numbers are correct. Um, but um, I, I'm curious and we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking more about why our, our improvement was so incredible um, and, and it occurred at all three of the hospitals. So more to come on that as we learn. In terms of our hospital-acquired infections index, um, we did not meet goal on that. And in fact, um, for the month of July, we had some um, uh, surgical, a surgical site infection, C. diff infection, catheter-associated UTI, and an MRSA bloodstream infection. Um, we, as I've mentioned before, uh, we have seen this trend throughout COVID. Nevertheless, we need to have it go the other direction. And at least specifically, we're looking at um, uh, surgical side infections to, to really do a drill down and improve in that area, especially in intra-abdominal surgeries. Uh, for HCAPs, our improvement has been consistently better over the past year. There was a ton of work and there continues to be a lot of work in driving our inpatient experience and we're seeing improvement at all three of our, our acute care hospitals. Um, while we have exceeded our targets, I, I, I think all of us agree that we would love um, to have even better performance of our patient experience um, for inpatient. And then in terms of our CG caps, we're still working with our vendor on establishing a a peer benchmark for us so that we can um, uh, uh, really establish a goal for, for this year. However, as you can see that for the month of, uh, of July, we did not even get to our last year baseline. So certainly there's work there to do in terms of our ambulatory experience. And, and I think as it has come up in earlier meetings that this is certainly affected by some of the restrictions that we've seen um, in, in the pandemic. So we'll be looking to bring you more information about how we're going to be in that. And so with that, I conclude my report. Wow, we got a lot of tour de forces this evening. Is that okay, Dr. Tornabene? <laughs> walkthrough. Uh, Thank so, you. Um, trustees, uh, that was a walkthrough through uh, the, all the critical elements related to regulatory and safety and compliance. Questions? Trustees, this is a new format. Let's start, this is an evolving format for, for us. So questions? How does this work for you? Too much, too fast? Is it consolidated to enough that you feel like you can ask questions? I'll, I'll go one by one. Trustee Esteen, how is this evolving report for you? Do you feel like you have an adequate picture of safety, regulatory, and DNM? I feel like it is a lot. It's very fast. And it's like everything is a highlight. So it's like, oh yeah. my God, write that down. Oh, write that down. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like digestion is necessary. Okay. Trustee Jensen? You're on mute. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Trustee Steen. It's always, I often do have questions about the metrics and I think it's presented well. I, I like that it's, um, the, the metrics are from the patient perspective often, and that, I think that's important to keep in mind. Okay. And as you noted, we all read the packet. So and I'm excited about the cafeteria. Thank you for that. <laughs> Trustee Friedman and Trustee Banerjee? I've got nothing to add at this time. Okay, got it. Trustee Banerjee? Yeah, I, I think it's 
really succinct. It's yeah. like very, uh, it's got a lot of info, but very succinct and the trend lines for 12 months is really helpful. I think that that's yeah. very good. So I, definite improvement. I feel like this is this is the one. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent compliment if okay. you've read the packet. Eyeball on everybody if we've read <laughs> the packet. Okay. Um, any questions? Uh, Dr. Tornabene, of course. How, how's it work for you? Oh, it, it, it's actually, I, I really enjoyed working with, uh, you know, Nilda, Annette, and Darshan on developing this. This is great. I think that this will be, um, and as channeling Dr. Bouquet, feedback is a gift. So <laughs> if you digest something later and, and want us to change something, uh, you know, please just uh, shoot me an, an email on that. I did want to add that at the next QPSC, we will be um, uh, uh, introducing our new VP of quality on a Torres. Um, and so while I will likely um, give uh, next month's uh, report, um, perhaps she will take over in the following. Got it. Thank you very much. Um, Trustee Esteem. I did have one question about the 30-day readmits, which sounds great. And I heard you say the data is really exciting and we are looking at it over and over again just to make sure it's not a statistical anomaly. How can we get uh, feedback on that. Do you know when the, the review will be completed? Yeah, I, I probably, I would say, has seen, um, we can bring you information back next month specifically on uh, the readmissions and what we found around why there is such improvement. And so why don't I put that as part of our report next month, a deeper dive into readmissions about why we think the improvement is so significant. Yeah, I, I think a great comment from both of you. And as I say, one data point is not a trend. Yes. But let's let's see let's see what happens because uh, this let's see what this, happens. This isn't this is a significant outlier. I'm yeah. not sure we've ever seen this number in the history of the system. No. Yeah. So so uh, certainly an outlier, which is which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. Let's keep our and, fingers crossed. And question: Can I, Trustee Banerjee? So it's an outlier for us, but is that figure like um, in the general sense of others, like 30 day readmission, like what is that a very outlandish figure? I mean, an attainable figure, or is that something that if we see trend lines, is that something that both we, we can see ourselves? It's certainly lower than most, uh, you know, that, you know, it's not uncommon to see readmission rates somewhere around the 11, 12 cent or higher. And so then when you're getting our, you know, system. Half of that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that it does certainly make all of us go, huh, you know, what's going on? And, and, and um, we'll, we'll do a deep dive to get you some information. Trustees, uh, I, I, on our regulatory profile, and I always see Nilda's smiling face there, our big target here is Alameda and the Joint Commission. Uh, so note that that can be turned on. Nilda, I'm looking at you through Zoom. Know that trustees will be available. Uh, you just let us know uh, at, at whatever uh, meetings the Joint Commission calls. Uh, so we'll make sure that we have trust leadership available, a board leadership available to you, because I know uh, that's coming. Uh, do you have some tea leaves? Do you have a feel for us, Ms. Perez? No. Um, they just actually sent out some communication to us about trying to catch up with some um, surveys that have been overdue. 
Um, we are not scheduled until the art window ends at the end of November. So I'm trying to get a sense of now, will that impact us in our timetable, which I was thinking that we would see them in October, given the information they just gave us, you know, I think we may see them maybe into November. So um, every day is a gift and we just keep plodding along uh, and just using that as an opportunity to just in, to try to improve and just, you know, hardwire all of our improvements. Ms. Perez, would this be a five day or four? I think it maybe I can't remember the board. Is this a four day or a five day? It's actually a two day, possibly a three, if the life safety engineer does not start on the same day with the with the, with the other side of the team. So sometimes they will come in on the second day and then they have a two day. Okay. Well, so is, is this a trend with Joint Commission? Because everything used to be five days. Uh, it's dependent on the size of the organization. So uh, when I update our, our annual application, I, I put in volumes and they base it on that. So it's kind of formulary based on that. Okay. So we're looking before the end of November that they will be, they'll be coming to visit our Alameda site, Alameda Hospital site. Yes. Got it. Trustees, any other comments for Dr. Tornabene or Ms. Perez or Ms. Graywall or Annette Johnson on any of the data? Thank right. you. Thank, Thank you, you. to Milda um, and Darshan and um, Felicia. And that, yeah. Appreciate your support. Thank you. It is, uh, it's super, it's hard work. It, and it's, it's, it's such detail work too. So I'm very impressed uh, by them all on that. So with that, we will close out item D and we'll go to item E, which is again, one of our standing reports. Uh, the, the, uh, the trust, I'll remind the audience that this, this agenda item is quality improvement project reports. This evening, I'm very happy to introduce Teresa Cooper, who's our VP of patient care services and our interim chief nursing officer. I've worked with Teresa for years. I always love working with her. This evening, she's gonna report us on, uh, her title is Improving Efficiency, Patient Safety and Cost Savings uh, Through Using the 5S Lean Methodology. Good evening, Ms. Cooper. Hello, Taft. Um, actually, Myrna Chang will be um, reporting tonight. Got it. Uh, apologies, Myrna, apologies. Um, Myrna Chang uh, uh, is our administrative lead in the uh, Highland operating rooms. I've also worked with Myrna as well. And um, uh, the floor is yours. Good evening, Ms. Chang. Good evening, Dr. Baquette, and good evening, everybody. Um, I'm going to share my screen right now. Wonderful. I see you sitting in your office. You're just down the hall from me. <laughs> yes, I guess. <laughs> Hello, neighbor. <laughs> okay. So um, thank you so much, first of all, for- Actually, Mona, uh, yeah. have, you, have you screen shared? We're, we don't see it. Oh, gee, I thought I did. Hang on just a second. better all right Myrna if you if you don't mind, wouldn't mind going into presentation mode and then we should be pretty good to go yes okay. ma'am thank you that better all right yes, okay first off I'd like to thank um, the board and of course executive um, leaders for inviting us to for inviting me to speak on behalf of the staff and the team who participated in this process 5S is an important lean concept to 
improve standardized processes while saving inventory and streamline the workflow. I'm gonna explain what the 5S means at a later time, but the problem we had, I'm just gonna read verbatim problem statement. Over time, accumulation of supplies in surgery resulted to cluttered workspace, inefficiencies, expirations, and increased costs. Staff struggled looking for supplies needed, adding to the time to complete surgeries in addition. The Joint Commission rendering conditional findings was we thought due in part to the mess seen in HGH operating room. 5S was needed to do a major cleanup and reorganization. What is 5S? 5S is an acronym for sort, set in order, shine, standardize, and sustain. A team of OR staff engineering EVS materials and Dr. Mira Flor as our physician champion joined together on three Saturdays to do 5S work in October last year. Why do we sort? Sorting is used to eliminate waste and improve inventory controls. Sorting is a process to systematically look at what's really needed to run the department. And what we discovered by doing that was that we had nine big carts of overstock. We set them aside and used them as replenishment supplies. Why do we set in order? It's easier to detect problems, minimize human errors, creates less downtime, and there are no more homeless items. The team decided to reorganize instrument and supply areas in the operating room according to how supplies are picked and using stratification analysis to help decide locations, the more frequently needed items were placed in areas for easy retrieval. Why shine? Operating room is an area where patients are vulnerable to catch infection. We're protecting patients from any pathogens and contaminants by keeping the environment clean. As we cleared up rooms, the EVS team cleaned up the empty rooms before we placed the items into the rooms. Why do we standardize? Now the standardize seems to be a common um, word being used here tonight. We do standardize, we assign zones so people take accountability for their own specific zones to uh, keep everything in order and help maintain the byproduct of the work. Why sustain? By forming a habit of being clean, 5S becomes a part of our culture. Now going back to the intro, culture. So the, these pictures are um, just a few pictures I'm sharing with you of what the rooms look like before and what they look like after we got done with the work. So this is the first one, um, supply room the SPD storage before and after, the sterile core before and after, and now. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because we color labeled all of the supplies according to specialty. Now talking about visual management, we associated the colors to the specialties and what they represent. For example, yellow for urology, for urine, pink for GYN, pinky toes babies, white for ophthalmology eyes, representing the sclera, berry for general surgery healthy bowel, red for vascular blood, 
purple for neurology circulation, ortho blue because blue associates with manly work, and anesthesia green sputum. And here's one of the substrate realms we had to do four of these. And um, we predicted that some of the sub accounts, costs, expenses will reduce over time. And we were right about that as shown on this slide. See, we looked at the sutures and skin stapler and as you can see, September, we spent 103,418. And in October, just halfway through the, um, the 5S, it went down to 46,564. And then in November, 10,521. Then the next one, surgical supplies general, that's how much we spent in September. And then October, November, it went down and then it went all the way down so as of february when i look at the difference it totaled one million fifty six thousand seven hundred twenty three now the next prediction was if we were to clean up the or we will get joint commission reaccreditation which was the case um rona consulting inc defined five levels of joint commission readiness Level one is unholy mess, plan to fix systematically. That was where we were. Level two, a bit better, but not joint commission ready yet. Um, level three is joint commission ready. Level four is joint commission constant state of readiness. And level five is bring it on JC, we're, we've nailed it. And so we wanted to get to level five, but at this juncture, I think we could be at four to five, because I'm noticing that if I just round that department sweep for 30 minutes, um, I can I feel that it's joint commission ready. So action plan, we, we're still continuing to label as new items continue to arrive, the specialty staff are continuing to, um, to get labeled. It is a continuing journey, like any culture to keep the department always joint commission ready and instruments ready, supplies always available. But one thing is certain, defects are easier to detect. The department deals with practically thousands of supplies. This type of work is much needed in a setting with thousands of supplies. As we continue with the journey, we're discovering areas to improve like purchasing role in supply procurement and timely delivery. We're working on that right now. Um, we use PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act, for continued improvement. As we identify supply issues, we fix them. If the strategy didn't work, we go back, generate ideas, and experiment. It will not be always perfect, but it is definitely an improvement. And the staff are very proud with their participation in this process. So lastly, here's a picture of um, a few of the staff who participated in the process. As you can see, they still have a lot of energy. They're still ready for the next 5S. So um, a special thank you to the engineering department, the OR staff, Central Supply, surgeons, anesthesia, who painlessly supported us through the process. So this ends my presentation. Thank you, Ms. Chang. If you put it back to full screen so we can all take a look at each other and then I'll let the trustees have any questions for you. 
trustees and thank you for that report. So I guess here's here's my question for you, Ms. Chang. So I, everyone loves before and after pictures, of course, right? Um, I have two teenage children. So um, I, I've had many pictures of that before where their room is a mess and then you, we clean it up and it looks pristine. And then two days later, it's back to the before. <laughs> so what, what, what is gonna prevent us from going back to the mess? And, and the larger context here is the Rona group actually was a consulting group here right around 2010, 2011 or so, if my memory serves. Uh, I think I was in wave one of their, of their and we 5S the OR at that time. So how did we come back to here and then love your improvements, but how do we, the royal we, sustain what you spend a lot of time doing? What are your comments on that? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Dr. Bacat. Um, the, the simple, the short and simple response to the question is the staff involvement. The staff were so engaged in the process that they're policing their own work environment. And in fact, they're the ones coming to me if things are placed in not in order, not in their appropriate places. So when they report to me, they say, do you really want that there? Gee, it looks cluttered. And so I would go and check and I'd say, okay, uh, let's stop for a moment here. Let's go back to where it was. We have to clean this up. Let's, um, let's help each other. And, um, so by having them be the police of their own work environment, I think we're, we're gaining some grounds here. Because we did this in October, and it's now October. And as I said, um, last Friday of last month, Dr. Victorino, myself, and um, one other person, um, the facilities person, Mike Ford, rounded the area and did not find a single thing to report out for the first time. And, uh, you know, month over month, we have a list of things that we're identifying that are out of place. Okay. Thank you very much. Trustees? Trustee Banerjee, you're on mute. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much for this uh, presentation. Um, I wanted to know that, uh, you know, the such a steep um, decline in the expenses in that. Do you think, like, what do you, uh, what do you think it was? It was not the, uh, you know, the inability to find things or that that were over, but this is just a, over a month uh, and a half, like that, or, or a couple months is just dramatic. Yeah, it could just be aesthetic um, in, in some form because, the nine carts full of supplies were used as replenishment at first. And so you saw the big decline because, you know, in October we were only, were only accounting for two weeks of after work. And then um, for November, that's when we've already cleaned up and we were using the extra supplies to replenish. So we've set up parts so that we're not over um, overstocking the areas any longer and um also you know i looked further further down through february and i've seen an up and down 
expense, but never to the level of September expense. And another thing too that I'm discovering now is, you know, if I see an, an uptake in expense, I look to see what could be going on. And like right now, I'm I'm looking at prices for some of the endomechanicals because I noticed that they have increased 50%. And mm. if I wasn't paying attention to the expenses, I wouldn't know that something is amiss. So I'm I'm focusing on that right now so I can continue to control costs. Yeah. And um, Dr. Chair, uh, yes, uh, you were asking you were asking like what would keep people sustaining this i think both like having the uh, nurses be actually like happy about the process and uh, taking such pride in in the in the way that the system is really working sorting and shining and like the color coding and all of that and also the the fiscal um thing i, I wonder when there's oversupply sometimes if there's expert things that expire and that have to be yeah, um, waste and other other downstream things that also happen. So yeah, this is amazing. And the, in your last slide, sorry, you mentioned that it all happened in a day. Like oh, we we did it in three Saturdays because we couldn't do it do it during the weekdays because we're taking care of patients. So we decided um, we worked with Teresa. Teresa gave us the okay for the overtime because I said, you know, we pay overtime for three days, and you know, you will see the dividends in the end. And um, so we've given the authorization to do it. And plus, when um, Dr. Ternabini came to me around September to tell me that Joint Commission was coming in October, I had kink in my stomach because I thought, oh gosh, uh, we're not ready. I don't know if she sensed it, but she <laughs> said, are you okay? So yeah, I was worried, truthfully, when um, that, that was communicated with me. So I immediately, when I learned that they weren't coming in October, I immediately planned it. Let's do it. You know, it's, it's, it's a big undertaking, but in the end, it paid off. Thank you. Trustees, any other questions of Ms. Chang? Ms. Chang, we like success stories, especially success stories which stick. So I hope you uh, have more of them to show us. I we really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, with that, we will close um, item E, and we're going to go to item F, which is going to be a uh, verbal report um, from our interim chief medical officer. And this is just sort of a, a standing uh, 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 little update um, that which we'll do. This is a COVID nineteen update, and uh, there's no materials presented. We just uh, I wanted to create a space for us, uh, for the trustees to ask any questions of, of what's happening in our system. Dr. Tornabeni, the floor is yours. Okay, great. So this will be a quick verbal update about um, COVID-19 in, 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 in our system, starting with our patients. So as I shared last month, um, we are still in the midst of our Delta surge. However, our inpatient numbers have uh, declined and kind of plateaued. So uh, for scale, if you recall last winter at our height, we had 97 patients hospitalized at one time across our system. About a month ago now, we had gotten up to 33. And today we're at 13. 
So, and we've been maintaining in the kind of 10 to 17 range over the past uh, few weeks. So a little bit up, a little bit down, um, but we're certainly able to handle that volume. Now moving on to vaccinations. So uh, you might've seen about two and a half hours ago, the FDA just approved a single booster dose of the Pfizer vaccine for certain individuals. This is for individuals 65 years of age and older, individuals 18 through 64 at high risk of severe COVID-19, and individuals 18 through 64 who have frequent institutional or occupational exposure to SARS-CoV-2. And so that certainly would be our healthcare workers. So that'll be something that we'll be looking at in terms of rolling out um, booster doses um, for those uh, individuals who, who um, received the Pfizer vaccine. From what I understand, I believe Moderna is also applying for a booster. So I expect for that to come. And let me just explain uh, the difference between booster and third doses. So um, for a booster, you get your uh, two vaccine series. However, after an initial robust uh, response, your uh, immunity wanes. And so you get a, a booster dose. Um, in order to buff up that immune response. However, with a third dose, um, which was previously approved um, by the FDA, uh, which is that um, th that was uh, a third dose is required for people who never had a robust immune response. So those people who might be uh, immunocompromised based on either medications or underlying conditions. And so we have been providing the third doses to patients who are immunocompromised and who need that third dose. Um, across our system, um, as of Monday, our staff were 84% vaccinated. I was just also going over the medical staff data earlier today, and we're at around 85% uh, vaccinated. I um, uh, certainly for the medical staff, I have a feeling that the vaccination rate is certainly higher and we're just waiting for evidence of those um, vaccine cards to be coming in. However, there's lots of work underway also um, um, across the system with the non-physicians to, to, to have staff be providing the proof of vaccinations. And I know that um, exemptions, uh, whether they're religious or medical, have been, uh, there's been a process to review those and that, that information will be getting back to those who applied to the, uh, for the exemptions imminently. In terms of, lastly, just the characteristics of this surge, again, um, I, I got some information from Dr. Mawazed and I'm excited that he'll be joining our all department leaders to meet, uh, meeting, uh, meeting tomorrow in order to share the char characteristics of the surge. But certainly, as I mentioned before, the median age is lower. So um, uh, in our prior surges, it was 59. Um, this is of admitted patients, it's down to 53. Uh, interestingly and very distressingly, our mortality rate for patients who are on the ventilator, so that's on the in the ICU on breathing support, um, was 61% in prior surges, and it's 89% in this surge. So once uh, with Delta, you um, have the misfortune of um, needing to be ventilated um, on a breathing machine, then your chances of survival are lower with the Delta variant than uh, with prior surges. And then of those patients who are admitted to our ICU with COVID, 92% of them are unvaccinated. So certainly um, we're seeing the, the proof in our patients that vaccines for COVID work, they save lives and, and they keep people out of the hospital.
so that's my COVID update. Oh, last, last but not least, how could I forget? Um, we are in outbreak status and post-acute. We do have um, some patients um, that were identified at the Fairmont Skilled Nursing Facility who are who were positive for COVID-19. I very much want to recognize the leadership of Richard Espinoza and his leadership team, um, and Dr. Naini Sharma, Dr. Mawazed, and so many others who came together to help address the outbreak at Fairmont. And uh, excitingly, uh, we were able to provide the monoclonal antibody treatment to two patients at our skilled nursing facility so they did not have to go to the emergency department. And we now have a policy in place that we can provide that treatment there um, should that need arise. So that concludes my report. Uh, again, another tour for us, uh, Dr. Tornabene. So a couple of uh, questions right off the bat before I go to other trustees. Uh, can you help uh, illuminate me on uh, back to the discussion about booster versus third dose? You said the discriminating factor was a robust immune response. Is that a blood serologic response? Or how are we determining whether someone had a robust uh, uh, immunologic response after shots one or two? So in general, there's no need to check for like do serologic analysis for that. There's a presumption that the that the um, that the that the response will decline over time. And so in high risk individuals that we should, you know, certainly in healthcare, we should all uh, get that that booster dose in order to buff up our immune response, given our high risk jobs and the frequency frequency with which we might be exposed to the virus. Okay, so so practically speaking, booster and third dose are kind of effectively the same thing. Yeah, the, the 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 only caveat is that instead of a decline over time, which yeah. led to the need for a booster, the need for a third dose is that that initial response was not good enough, and we needed that third dose to really get it um, into uh, the effective range. G- given this new data, which is uh, thank you for informing me, it must have been fr- fresh off the press. I yeah, it's just it. hours ago. <laughs> yeah. So eighteen to sixty-four in a, an exposed setting—that's basically all our hospital workers. Uh, this is a, a tough question. I don't know, it, and it relates to operations. Do we have the supply to get that eighty-five percent of our pay uh, of our employees uh, a booster slash third dose? I'd have to ask our our pharmacy. Um, okay. A- current supplies. What I do know, because I, I did get a communication or I was on a communication with uh, Dr. Tamron from our pharmacy, and she had already um, gone ahead and started to order extra Pfizer doses, anticipating the need for a booster. So um, I do know, I don't, while I can't speak to what the exact number our stock is, I do know that that our pharmacy was anticipating this and has already ordered extra doses. And is it fair to say that the, and Trustee Friedman, you're next. Is it fair to say that the, the decision on this third slash booster dose will be navigated by the Restoration Oversight Committee, the ROC? Indeed, in partnership with Employee Health. Wonderful. Um, uh, trustees, remember uh, this uh, COVID uh, guidance at a system level occurs by the so-called ROC, the Restoration Oversight Committee. So they've actually been a busy group. Uh, that includes our CEO, our COO, our chief interim chief medical officer, our, our director director of infection control. She's in the room as well. And others, I apologize. I can't remember who else, whoever else is on it. Um, so that they're navigating that kind of decision making. Trustee Friedman, sir. Yeah. Um, we know that Moderna is not yet approved for additional doses. 
And I saw data today that Johnson & Johnson has preliminary results that are extremely positive for a second shot of Johnson & Johnson in the 95% effectiveness. Do we know uh, amongst our staff what percentage had Pfizer, what percentage had Moderna, what percentage had Johnson & Johnson? We likely know through employee health, but I don't know. Lorna, do you, I saw you come off mute. Do you, do you have that information? I apologize. I do not um, trustee Friedman, but I can find that out. We okay. do know about employees that got their vaccine here because we were giving right, Pfizer, right. but we don't know about external shots. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, it's really encouraging to see that this is loosening up. Of course, I have the feeling that I wish we were, uh, had people in the developing world get their first or second shots before we are all getting third shots. Here. But unfortunately, the world doesn't work that way, that if we turn down a shot here, it's going to go to somebody in uh, Philippines or Nigeria. Um, but I think it's encouraging that uh, all the data and research so far is indicating the effectiveness long-term of the shots and also the greater effectiveness that'll come with the third shot or booster shot. Thank you, Trustee Friedman. Trustees, any other questions on uh, Dr. Tornabene's COVID report? Um, my recollection was that uh, our employee vaccination rate was a uh, low 70 percentile in uh, late July, early August. And now we are one more time, Dr. Tornabene, 84%. 84%. Okay. So, um, we're getting, so, so get, getting there. Go AHS. Uh, um, thank you for that report. Well, that will close item F. Item G is the planning calendar and issue tracking. Uh, re very relatively easy. Um, uh, trustees, are there any items for discussion that you would like to be brought back to QPSC or, or not brought back or even just uh, addressed at QPSC? Trustee Jensen, you uh, are on mute. I, would, I keep I keep yeah. muting when I mean to unmute. Um, I would like to hear more. Uh, we we heard we've heard this from some of our physician leaders. I'd like to hear more about the issue. Um, it came up last month in more detail about behavioral health and um, the the transfer and the the um, support for behavioral health and especially fifty one fifty diagnosis. Yeah. Sorry. We'll, we'll put that under the umbrella of behavioral health and 5150. Um, uh, Madam Clerk, if you'll keep that on our tracking calendar. Just as, as a, as a re, re, uh, reminder, uh, QPSC is dark in December. Um, so uh, our, our med staff colleagues vis-a-vis -vis credentialing need to uh, know that, but I do know that they already know that. Um, so um, with that, we will close out the um, open part of our session. Um, we're going to be moving into closed session. Um, council. The quality committee of the board will now go into closed session to discuss the items on the agenda. Audience, we estimate we'll be in closed session for hopefully around 20 minutes or so. Uh, after that, we'll come back and announce if there are any actions made. Um, uh, but if you're not in the room, everyone have a great evening. Um, let's move to closed.